Hello and welcome to a Climactic Special Edition episode. This is a full interview with Maxine Baisley of Teal Collaborative. And in the spirit of waste not, want not, and we had try to practice what we preach here on Climactic around recycling and reuse, yep. uh, this is an interview that we recently did in the library at Docklands, first time in a proper studio environment. It was a great interview, but the whole thing wouldn't have made it into a monthly show just due to time. So rather than cutting it, we thought we'd put it here for you guys with you, the audience, squarely in mind so you can hear this interview in full. Okay, Max, so where did you originally meet Maxine? Well, well, Rich, it was actually quite early on in the planning days for the show. I'd, I'd been talking to Rebecca Sullivan, uh, an amazing woman from Adelaide in South Australia who does this company called Warren Do, all about local um, native Australian ingredients, sort of bush foods and how to get them used by more people. And she'd said she'd be at the Ballarat Begonia Festival um, this the weekend coming up. And so kind of spur of the moment with about a day or two's notice, I was like, well, I'm going to Ballarat. And I, I walked up to the Begonia Festival. I'd just gotten my little Zoom recorder. And I started talking to Max, who was one of the, the volunteer hosts at the New Joneses. The New Joneses being this sort of show home of sustainable tech all, all put into this tiny house. It's actually on the back of a trailer, so it's like a, a zero emissions or as low emissions as possible yep. tiny house with a lot of cool technology in it. So after just a couple minutes of talking to Maxine, we're straight away talking about how to compost dog poo, oh, right. like how, how to get down to the real nitty gritty, yes, unglamorous yep. side of sustainability. And she said she was doing this stuff already, so I could, I knew that she wasn't just talking the talk on this. She was very serious about her own sustainability her own footprint. How did the interview go itself? I mean, you were you were in the studio in the doc, in the Docklands. Yeah, that's right. That right? In, a, in a professional studio for the first time in my life behind the uh, mixing board. Yeah. And the interview went really well. I had a suite of questions lined up for the interview. Listeners, you guys won't know this is kind of my standard suite of questions. You haven't heard any other interviews yet, but I had my kind of standard list to go through. But because Max is so easy and engaging to talk to. I kind of sort of just went off script straight away, and this didn't end up being a normal yeah. kind of question and answer interview. It was a lot more just like a flowing conversation. That did sound like a really nice, uh, good chemistry between the two of you. It was very good to, to listen to. Yeah, and I, and I can't wait to speak to her again because I started off asking some questions about you know, her new agency, Teal Collaborative, or you know, her career, uh, the things and things just kind of went from there. There's there's a lot more I want to talk to Max about. I can't wait to have her back on the show. And I hope you guys, after hearing this chat, I, uh, I hope you're looking forward to that as well. And if you'd like to contact Maxine, her details will be in the show notes. And here is the full interview with Maxine Baisley of Teal Collaborative. Yeah, well, I'm here. It's happening. There's lights on the board and I can hear myself, which is a little horrifying. So here we go with the first studio recorded episode of Climactic. Maxine, thank you so much for sitting down with me and, you know, making the long trek into Library of Docklands. It's not a bad trip, to be honest. No. Thanks we'll... for having me. <laughs> You're very, very welcome to be here. Um, so tell us a little bit about your, your trip in this morning. So you came up from lovely Torquay. You were catching the train. That's right. I caught the train. I um, unfortunately had to buy a car um, two weeks ago. I did hold oh, off for a little while. Yeah, I actually had one and then... Uh, someone wrote it off. Uh, and we were all fine, but um, you were in car the car was the time. not. Yeah, car car was just not good. Mm -hmm. So I just avoided buying one for a while because I just really wanted to not 
have a car because yep. obviously there's a lot of problems that come with it, let alone the fact that I can't afford a Tesla yet. So. Yes. No, not many of us can. <laughs> and no, I don't know dream. if my bike would fit in the back of a Tesla, depending on the size. I don't know. With the cheap one, maybe not. Maybe it would. Maybe it would. You'd think it's they'd, a, it's they'd a goal. incorporate that into the design a little bit. That it's would be their ideal customer. But An ultimate goal later on. Next car. Definitely. Well, you could always get the Tesla Model 3, the cheap one, put the bike on a roof rack on top and put a sail on the bike. And then when you run out of battery, you could just land sail. Perfect. That'd be an ultimate dream. I think after this, I'll go apply for design job <laughs> at Tesla. Um, but I did, yeah. So I put my bike in the car um, and I have done uh, the bus to train mission with the bike under the bus, but sometimes wow. it's not always reliable um, with without having bike racks on our buses. You have to put it underneath and sometimes the bus driver, depending, will have locked that and he won't have the key. So, yeah, definitely needed to have a car to to make that trip. Um, so there's definitely some perils of living outside the city yeah. and trying to rely on non-personal yep. automobile transport. Considering that I didn't have a car from 2004 mm-hmm. until last year. No, the year before last? Yeah, until last year. I didn't 2016? Have a, yeah, so um, after moving to... a good 12-year stretch. Yeah, yeah. And well it was done. like a very hard decision for me to go oh no i need to buy a car fair enough well you're living down in in torquay is that right that's right yep i moved uh 2016 so made the change from inner city living and getting back to nature and making a commute for a little while which ended up being not sustainable Um, not not without a car no, not when it gets written off. That's it. Well, even even the time and mm. the energy required, and the time that you're not at home. So that ended up being, yeah, it ended up finishing um, in August last year. I think I stopped commuting, which means I stopped being employed. <laughs> yeah, it does seem to have a one to one ratio there, doesn't it? Yeah, Com- commute means employment. Yeah. So what have you been doing since then? So we so, can we can get into it. I, I met you at the Ballarat Begonia Festival a couple of weeks ago. You were doing some volunteering for a group, which we can get into, but you've just branched off on your own to start your own company. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Originally, I um, had an opportunity to join Creative Suburbs for two days a week, and Creative Suburbs are a community engagement uh, placemaking company, and they're based in Melbourne. And I was like, I can do this for two days a week. I cannot pass this opportunity up. It's something that I've always been interested in. And um, I asked my boss at the time and he was just kind of a bit concerned about, and, you know, I was commuting already. Three days off, you're not going to care about your current job anymore. Well, he did think that. And he did have a point in that I wouldn't want to travel up for all of those things. Mm -hmm. And that would be even more difficult. So... I guess it was kind of like the universe saying, go this way. (laughs) Yes. Um, So I started that in August and uh, quickly realized that I would need to create another revenue or income stream. Mm -hmm. Uh, And also that I'm really good at recruitment. (laughs) That's something that I've been doing for... Yeah, it's a bit of a recurring theme in your CV, isn't it? (laughs) And I've been doing it for... um, yeah, 10 years now since I got into it in London and I was keen to transition into more business consulting and I tried that as well. But it is difficult to learn things in an environment where you're employed to be good at something that you're already good at. 
Yes. They just want you to do the thing that you're good at and obviously that makes sense. And it did make even more sense when I did a um, a business course uh, called NICE or through NICE. It's the New Investment – no, New Enterprise Investment Scheme. Okay. Which is a government funded basically to get people off the dole. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've just changed the legislation so that people that are unemployed can do it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wasn't obviously getting an allowance, but no, uh, I was able to do this short course in business, mm-hmm. small business management. And that's when I started Teal Collaborative. Very good. So you went from sort of full-time in the recruitment space, 10 years experience in recruiting, and you wanted to pursue this kind of more sustainable, uh, what was the the um, neighborhoods, yes, neighborhoods, place place making and community engagement with creative suburbs. Yes, um, m- way more in the startup space, like mm-hmm. way less corporate, very grassroots, and that just really appealed to me. And because you wanted to pursue that, it kind of shut your door with recruitment. So you're like, well, I've got that skill set, but it's not what I want to be doing just full time, yeah. constantly. Exactly, and also not where. I mm. want to be doing it. If mm-hmm. I, and I, th- I thought oh, I could work for a recruitment company in Geelong and then I'd be doing the same thing, making money for other people and having to really bring them the bacon, basically. Yeah, that's right. You, and, um, you'll be spending 40 hours a week yeah, developing someone else's company. Which is it's definitely a great way to gain experience mm-hmm. and a great way to benefit an industry as well, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you want to learn new things, it's really hard. It's yeah. It's really hard. Definitely. So, but you you had that core of experience and then you did this small business management course and you thought, well, I could, I could start a small business. Yes. Yeah. And originally I was like, I'm going to be a consultant and a coach and I'll do recruitment and the recruitment will lead into helping businesses to be better. Yes. And to be better for the environment and socially better and better for the people that work for them. So that's the ultimate goal and that's what what Teal Collaborative will become. Yes. Well, all startups start out as little (laughs) eggs first. But yeah, once I was going through the process of writing a business plan, I was like, oh, you can't really start a business in stuff that you haven't done yet. You have to do what you're good at. Yes. So (laughs) so you're starting off with still the maybe both feet in that camp of, of more traditional recruitment, but you take the opportunities for more sustainable jobs as they come up. Yeah, But exactly. then it's definitely with an eye towards transitioning to recruitment and, and consulting for greener companies and more sustainability-focused companies. Is that Yes, yeah, cool? and also helping companies that may not even have thought that they were in that space or could be in that space mm-hmm. could contribute. Because I actually have a firm belief that people that are well and that are happy which, you know, work contributes a lot to that. They Definitely. go home and Negatively spend more time with their families yep. and they spend more time in nature. So I feel like the whole ethos behind creating people that are happy at work mm-hmm. and that have the flexibility to go and do those other things and be in nature and et cetera, I feel like that's going to help the environment more than saving money to buy a block of land by working your ass off. Yes. And then just going off grid because you just want to bury your head in the sand. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you using Australian English on the show. No, <laughs> too many people are afraid to do that. And you're like, you should be able to express your opinions. So, fucking A, well done. Um, <laughs> so, would you say with the recruitment as you used to do it in the first sort of 10 years you were in recruiting, on a scale of like zero to 10, how much did like purpose fit and sort of that like life work balance fit? factor into the results you deliver to your employers? Like how much did they care about those aspects? Well, 
Oh, so you mean my clients or my yeah. employer? Yeah. Well, so your your employers were employment agencies. They they were finding positions. No, for... so I was working with an agency. Yes. Yeah. Understood. So, and I'll use the longest running agency that I worked with, which was six and a half years, and they were. Oh well, the only reason because that that happened is because of their culture. They had a very good culture. Mm-hmm. They looked after everybody. They really valued our contribution so much so that I actually got invited back to their tenth birthday party this year. Hey, fantastic! So, yeah, and they were like, "We couldn't have had it without you. We really, you know, value your contribution, etc." So, you were there for over half the life of the company up to exactly. the tenth birthday, so that's good. <laughs> and obviously, when originally it started, we were all about bang, we're going to make the dollars. We're yep. like high flying and. I got an apartment. I was like rolling, you know, it was awesome. I'd never been financially independent as much as that before. I could um, travel anywhere I wanted and I could do things that I wanted, go out for dinner, all those things. But I guess that, that probably started something in me and through working with engineers, Mm -hmm. um, I got involved with the sustainability um, aspect of built environment. Yes. So and engineers that. are that the people have a little bit longer perspective than just the next quarter, the results, the bonus checks, the going out yes. to dinner. Yeah. You got exposed to that engineering thinking of yes. we're building something that needs to last for a hundred years. Yeah, and that needs to contribute back to the community and the mm-hmm. environment, um, potentially around mm-hmm. it. So and the the ESD, which is the the sustainability engineer mm-hmm. uh role. That became really a key interest of mine and working with companies that, that stood for that mm-hmm. and did buildings that were very good examples of it. And that, that really just kept me in the industry for a lot longer than I think I would have stayed. And yeah, exposed me to buildings like we're in right now, which are... Yes, which you gave me some really interesting facts yeah. about when we were downstairs. I had no idea. So you can, so we're at the library at the dock in Docklands. It was, um, is it like a 10-year-old a building or is it I think so. Is that? That, that shows, oh my gosh. It must be newer than that because (laughs) no, I came on a tour of the opening, uh, and I was in Melbourne at the time working for Aspect. Um, Mm -hmm. That's Aspect Personnel, um, the company I was talking about before. Um, Great company. Give them a plug. Go to the go to the birthday party. I mean, they're yeah, they're great. Um, (laughs) And uh, it's a timber structure, which is one of the first for a long time in Melbourne of its kind. And yeah, there's a whole lot of other specs that I wouldn't be able to reel off for you, but. Like I showed you as we were walking up the stairs, this is a staircase designed to get you to not use the lift. That's right. And it worked for us. Yeah, it but did. The thing that staggered me was, you know, people listening to this show might be sitting in their timbered houses and you think, oh, okay, wooden frame structures are quite common, but we're in a, a three-story building with... I think it's actually, is it four? It's it might four. even be four yeah. and there's super high ceilings as well. Amazing. This is, this is the size of a mid-development, mid-rise? Mid-rise, sort of, yeah. Yep. Yeah. apartment building and it's yeah it's staggering to think this is a, a timber frame it's beautiful Just, as well and it is mm-hmm. and great studio <laughs> <laughs> so we there's a lot of things you just said that i, I i've got a whole bunch of questions but it's kind of more interesting you asked me about a scale of one to ten and i, I yeah, totally so, went on it, a tangent <laughs> no that's perfect it's it's a, <laughs> what, was what you scale? said was better than <laughs> the answer to my question deserved the scale was because i don't really I haven't worked in recruitment. I don't know much about the industry. I don't really know how it works with the different parties involved. But you're working for a recruitment agency. So your client is the employer. And kind of like the recruits you're finding are, are your product. They're who you find and sift through. Oh, my gosh. And present. Yeah. Sorry. That if, sounds if, terrible. 
So <laughs> we used to, well, I used to, when I was employed, call people candidates mm-hmm. and companies clients. Yes. Now I try to use the words people and organizations. That's revolutionary. Because I don't, <laughs> I, I guess it's, yeah, I don't want to think about people as a product. Mm. And I have um, a few major rules that I that I go through before I work on a role. One is that the uh, the role will contribute to the person mm-hmm. as well as the person being able to contribute to the organization. That I am a good person to work on this role, that mm-hmm. I'll add value to the process. And there was one other thing, but I can't think of it at the moment. That's all right. You can you can probably look that up or email me and I'll I'll send my um my ethos, my method Perfect. I like your your open sourcing, your recruitment process. I like that a lot. Yeah. So maybe just compared to some of the agencies you worked at, not as long as Aspect, you know, the the one to two year placements, whatever. How much did those agencies care about that work life for that purpose fit? Was it even a a criteria? Yeah, it's really hard. I, I mean, I think I can even use Aspect as an example of that. Like I wouldn't have lasted as long in aspect if I was on another desk. The desk that I was on, the roles that I was working on, they meant a lot to me. That gave me the purpose. So I was just lucky that I managed to find a niche that I was really involved with and really connected to and I cared about a lot. So that kind of makes it easier. I think for other people in recruitment that it is a way to make money and and originally that was what I was thinking. I was like, I am a female I want to be able to make as much money as a male and you can definitely do that. It's about how hard you work. It's about, that's right. um, You know, there may be a few instances where I may have been more favored because I was a female recruitment consultant or less in some cases when there was a blokey laddie kind of relationship going on with another recruiter. So is, is there that kind of dynamic in Australia? I haven't noticed that at all. I haven't picked up on this laddie blokish larrikin (laughs) boys club ridiculousness. I'm not even going to mention that 60 minutes episode. Let's gloss over that completely. But I'm glad that, that you, you set that goal to, you know, make just as much money as the boys and you, you, you did well. You've, you've earned more money than I have in my professional career. So in, in those standings, you, you beat me. Well done. <laughs> um, well, I hope so. I'm 36. So. Uh, yeah, a couple of years on me. That's yeah. all right. <laughs> you know, I think the other thing about um, ambition and success that I'd, I'd say was the beginning of my transition, I did get, I did get status anxiety in a sense that not, I wasn't worried about having things because I did have them. I was worried about what that meant. Like, how, was that me? Like, why am I doing this? Why do I need this stuff or need to be able to go out and spend $200 on a meal? Just and not even think about it, just enjoy it, like not feel any guilt about it, which is great. But it's like, what, what am I, what am I doing here? So that actually was the beginning for me to transition. I did a course called the Future Makers Fellowship in 2016, as well as try transition to management consulting, <laughs> which was. Just so not about people that I realized, like, oh my gosh, IT transformations and like, what? Yeah, you, no. you notice that management, consulting management transitions, they leave the people out it's of like, the start of that. <laughs> well, no, the, title. they're pretty much trying to work out how to get rid of people. Yep. Um, yeah, that just didn't, 
it didn't fit with who I was and going through a, a very sustainable, beautiful course at the same time was hilarious. Just <laughs> that so contrast. <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs> uh, and But meanwhile, I was like, you know, trying to be the awesome capitalist that I'd grown to be and buy another property in Torquay with my partner. So I was like, I have to stay in this job until we settle. Oh my gosh. I made it just. Well done. Yeah. Oh, you persevered. Yeah. yeah. Like that's, businesses are there to make money. So you, you were there long enough to get the money you needed to be able to get out because you'd, you'd, you know, already. I was hoping to learn more. That. I really was hoping to learn more, but I, yeah, I didn't really, I did, I did um, enjoy the client interactions and I did learn a lot about myself and it, you know, it's not a bad company. It's just definitely not in line with what I want to do. So, and for that, that role was definitely not about purpose. It was about making money. In, and that's kind of realized you'd, you'd hit your limit. That's yeah. as far as you could go in that direction. Yeah. You needed to bring in about that, that human element back, which is yeah. really core to recruitment. It's a very humanities focused Absolutely. role. Yeah. And then when I resigned, I actually didn't have anywhere to go, which is unusual. That's the that's first a- time I've ever done that. Apart from moving overseas to London, um, that was quite frightening. Big leap. Yeah. 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 And it's, that's it's why a I think position I, for anybody. Oh, yeah. I think that's why I went back into recruitment because I was like, oh, my gosh, I need to be somewhere that I know Mm. how I'm going and joined a very, very amazing company, Talent Nation, and that was sustainability, executive search. So awesome, really great. But combining that with moving to Torquay at the same time, then moving offices to South Melbourne and then, yeah, just having this question in my mind of like, where do I want to spend my time? Yes. And do I need to be in an office to do what I'm doing? So, yeah, there were the questions. And you're in the process of figuring out the answers to those because I'm really <laughs> curious to know, like, if you can do your work from your from your block in Turkey or from anywhere or do you get some losses in productivity yeah, from not being based in that office environment? It's interesting. Because um, if everyone could do their jobs from home, may, my God, we could be a lot more sustainable society tomorrow if we just didn't go to work. Yeah, but absolutely. I don't um, work as well from home, personally. Technically, yes, you can. So you need a phone and internet connection. You can do interviews by Skype. You can do interviews via Zoom. I do have a belief that having a, a really good understanding of a company culture, you need to go into their office a few See times yeah. and, and meet a few different levels of the team, like not just the directors. You need to meet everybody. On, on certain levels, especially the receptionist. Definitely. She is, or he, is the bomb of the company. They are the ones. They know everything. And mm-hmm. they are really responsible for culture. So big ups to all the reception and admin crew out that's there. Right. That's right. That's a really good hint there as well for people looking to go into that or, or even wanting to walk into a company before they take a role somewhere. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Talk so, to the receptionist. Yeah. And in that sense, yes. So the technique that... Um, the uh, technology is there to do any job, I think, remotely. Um, project work can even be done remotely. Uh, it's better to meet sometimes, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's completely unproductive. Like I make a rule. If I'm coming into Melbourne, I've got two things on at least, and I try to pack out the time and meet people. And my friends are like, oh, why don't you come and catch up with me for lunch? I'm like, ah, uh, because I'm in there to work. 
You know? That's right. No, the city yeah. becomes a, a task-focused place, yes. which is good. Yeah. But in the other side of the coin, um, e- even the difference between working at Aspect and um, Talent Nation is Aspect was very KPI-driven um, and, and so was Talent Nation, but it was it was a smaller team. So in Aspect I had like, oh, I don't know, like at the end I had like 10 other consultants I was keeping up with or beating, like I was competing. I was like, yeah, that you com- know. Competitive nature can bring out the best in some people. If, you know, it definitely brings it. out the best in me. Yep. I like to win, yep. <laughs> I can tell you. And that definitely made my imp- uh, performance um, increase. And Talent Nation, it backed off a bit, I think, but maybe it was also the pace as well. So I think different paces suit different sorts of people and I do suit a fast-paced environment. So, yeah, trying to create that for myself is, um, yeah, it's it's challenging, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, you're the only one responsible for it now. So you're you're at the start here of something very exciting. I really want to check in with you and see how Teal's going and say, you know, what, three months, six months, we can we can check in and see how it's all gone. I was really interested in, you said one of the roles that you were focused on a lot at Aspect, the EDS engineer. Uh, ESD. Yeah. ESD. Ecologically, sorry, yeah, health. ecologically sustainable design or environmentally sustainable development. You know, there's a couple of, yeah, but it's so environmentally minded sustainable engineers. engineering. Very good. And th- that was kind of your bread and butter. That was your desk at Aspect? No, I was doing building services, which encompasses okay. the full uh, services suite of a building, which do you know much about that or should I? I'll pretend we'll... I don't for the sake of the listeners. <laughs> okay, cool. So uh, it's like anything that's not structural that goes into a building that makes it work. So the lighting, the mm-hmm. power, the, the uh, computer wiring, uh, the air conditioning, um, so once the, the skeletons pipes, there, the, the building, stuff. it's all yeah. the organs, all the moving parts. It's the thing that actually makes it work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the services, yeah. Yep. So and, and sustainability engineering comes within that because it combines a lot of those elements and works with those service, with those disciplines. Okay, to, so that's um, interesting. So yeah. it's, it's after the building is built, though. This is like an oh, no. operation sustainability? No. Oh, well, gosh, no. We'd hope that at the concept we, stage. We, 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 would, we would hope. hope. But I, I'm quite happy to hear that there is uh, a role that it now exists. Maybe it's existed for a long time. I've just been unaware. But that somebody does look after the sustainability and the environmental aspects of the actual day-to-day operations of a building. Because once it's built. some um, facilities management. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. does that have any overlap at all with an ESD? It would, yeah. Um, that'd be... Well, and and also there could be a sustainable a sustainability manager for say vicinity group. Um, they're a uh, retail group, so mm-hmm. they would have a sustainability manager that look after the overall operations and running from a sustainability perspective. Not only that, they have to report on you know all these reporting global reporting uh, indices. So yeah, there's many things that they would be working on. The smaller buildings, maybe not so much. And you're listening to climactic the voice of the people on climate change. Mark, this is a great interview. I'm learning a lot. But I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about where it was recorded. Absolutely. So as you can tell, Rich, this is quite a bit better in quality than some of my earlier interviews, the yeah. clips we had in our first episode, which were largely recorded in cafes. Uh, Costa, that was um, actually in the green room of the uh, Ballarat Begonia Festival. Yes. Just as he was getting ready to go back up on stage. So this was recorded at the the city of Melbourne's uh, Docklands branch library, mm-hmm. the Dock, 
And um, the setup they've got there is really phenomenal. It's nothing like the libraries I grew up going to that were just repurposed buildings with some shelves put in for the books. This is a a purpose-built facility. And it's actually, Max was telling me when I arrived in the morning, and I'd I'd been to the library a couple times and never noticed that she said this is actually, it's a timber frame building. And it's the largest timber frame building to have been built in Melbourne for for decades, if not over a century. It's been recognized too for its award-winning design, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, apparently it has, and I need to get into that a little bit more in my own reading, but um, apparently there's a Green Star certification that buildings can get for their sustainability, mm. and and you think these, these star ratings are normally on a scale of one to five. This is a, a six-star award-winning building. Right. How'd you go with the, uh, with the soundboard? It, it was a battle, I'll admit. <laughs> uh, my, my first time using it, um, I'd done my induction session with Johnny, the man in charge of the studios there. And I was lucky enough that on the day I went in to do my induction, everyone else had cancelled. So I got to spend two hours with him learning some of the tricks of the trade from someone with the masters in audio engineering. Yeah. And I, I like to think it gave me a nice little shortcut. And uh, yes. I ended up going from zero to uh, acceptable. <laughs> Not quite hero. No, it sounded very, very good indeed. Um, we're just about to get back into the interview, actually. But before yes, we do, um, the Recording Room sounds like a great resource, Mark, for students and podcasters. Uh, do you have the contact link? Yes, absolutely. So I'll put in the show notes for this episode. What you're wanting to do first is go to this Eventbrite link. Then you can register to be inducted. So you will have a, a two-hour session there where they're going to show you how to use it. And then they'll run you through the booking system as well. Now, the library itself is super modern and the staff are all very friendly, but there is a little bit of a bureaucratic process to go through to book it. But trudge through and and you'll be fine. The good news is with that, though, is that if you're an individual, you live within the city of Melbourne, it's just $8.20 an hour to use this amazing professional-level recording studio. So you can believe that I'll be doing a lot more interviews from there. Okay, thank you, Mark. Now, back to the second half of your interview with Maxine Basley of Teal Collaborative. All right, so talking to you, Maxine, I think I've I've learned a lot personally what I don't know about recruitment and building services, which is quite a lot. But what I think I've got a, a strong sense for is that someone like a young person who's in recruitment, who's sort of flying high, is he's got a little sense of that, that intoxicating, oh, I'm a financially independent professional living in the city, but maybe feeling a little empty on the, the purpose and like the work-life balance side, that there is a path that they can follow, hopefully, to sort of get to a more purpose-filled place or a more balanced place. So what I'd really love to, to get from you maybe is 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 your why. What what drove you to to get out of that career, that lifestyle? I mean, you're you're in recruitment now, but definitely with a different focus, the stronger focus on the performance of the people you're placing in, in their lives. Like the actual overall their well-being yes more yeah you have much better words for it than me yeah their well-being so their actual contentment their ability to engage with the rest of their world yeah, that's right definitely you, you as a recruiter are are somewhat you know well you're very important i don't want to say you're solely responsible for the job somebody ends up doing they could end up doing that job for 20 30 40 years this could be the job that you've helped place them in not in this era. No, that's, this is true. <laughs> well, maybe, it, I mean, this is a sector that you can 
have longevity and Mm -hmm. you will gain more out of your career from staying in a company that's good for you. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, the millennials are apparently having to change careers. What is it something like I don't even – it's like ridiculous. It's like oh, 30, weekly for, 30 for different. Me, but. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, and yet like you'll, I'll speak to people that are a generation older than me and they're like, oh, well, you need to really focus on one thing. And I'm like, why? But the, I understand. That one thing is going to be redundant in a couple of years. Like, <laughs> And also your interest level and your energy is just going to lapse. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe that's a product of our scroll kind of mentality now. Oh, are, boring, we're a generation boring. of polymaths and not one thing can keep us interested long enough. It's true. That's the flattering version. That's that's a nice way of putting it. I think Spin that we've doctor. got low low attention span, basically. Definitely. Which can be an advantage to, to learning new things. But you, you'd mentioned before you, were, you went through this kind of transition in your life where the, the money side, the career side, didn't. it, it ceased being the, the most important driver. Yeah, it wasn't satisfying anymore to be winning winning yes <laughs> oh god i'm not even gonna say it um uh, what caused that can you um, sort of quantify yeah actually it was really interesting i i got hit by a car in 2011 you really need to stop driving or be around motor vehicles i was actually this is really this is embarrassing <laughs> I was rollerblading to work, which I did. I actually rollerbladed to work before I got a bike. I know this is crazy, but I used to rollerblade to work in London. So this was a, a carry on from my life in London. And yeah, I know that sounds crazy. As well. I'm sorry. I wish you could see my face, <laughs> listeners. But how many rollerblader commuters did you come across? Was in it, London? Yeah. Like two others, maybe. Yeah. It Way was to be pretty an individual, Maxine. Well Going done. through Bond Street, I tell you what, it's like pretty intense. But yeah, anyway. You avoided the cobbles at least, right? No, you know, I used to go over a couple of those. You just have to bend your knees. Yeah. Kind of hunker down. Did you call it cobble Like blade? moguls. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> just uh, anyway, so I was living in Carlton North at the time, saving up for my, you know, capitalism life. And uh, <laughs> I was going down Swanson Street and, um, yeah, there was a stop sign and a stop light and I thought the stop sign, you know, the lollipop man. Yes. I thought he's overriding the light because he's stopping the traffic from going through. As you would think when there's a lollipop man. Well, this is a very split second decision because I was really hooning down as a... No cobbles to worry about on Swanson Street, so you had a lot of momentum. Uh, Anyway, so that was a black Mercedes-Benz. It was brand new. And you literally got hit by capitalism incarnate. Well, I kind of hit him as he hit me. So, you know, actually that term is called contributory negligence, which I found out about five years later when they tried to sue me, the insurance company. Five years later. Five years later. Oh, they've been chasing say, I, me. I found that out about five minutes later when the cop showed up. and No, the cop showed up and I called my work. This is how bad it was. I was in the back of an ambulance smoking on a pethadone whistle and I called my boss and said, I'm going to be late, I think. I'm not, I'm, I, I'm I running late. I'm in an ambulance. They won't give me my rollerblades back yet. <laughs> I might yeah. be five minutes late. Literally. He's like, uh, have you called your mom? No, I was that dedicated to my work. I was that into trying to get it as far ahead as I could, you know. Yeah, it was <laughs> full on. Anyway, so... In my recovery time, obviously, I ended up hospitalized and actually ended up hospitalized the following week because I went back to work after 
I was making a placement in in the waiting room of the hospital the second time that I had to go back in and they were like, oh, we're admitting you because I was, you know, I had septus, no, what is it called? The um, cellulitis. Oh, the yeah. fun one. Yeah, really bad. So, um, yeah, so I was admitted and, you know, had to have an operation and I was out of out of action. Recovering, I read a book called Status Anxiety. And you're like, that's me. Yeah, I was like, I've got the reverse of it, kind of. Because, like, I'm doing the thing, but I'm not happy. Mm. Like, I could have anything I wanted, but it's not making me happy. So that was the beginning. I kind of was like, oh, I need to figure something out here. That was a while ago. And then I just kept going because I was doing so well. And I was like, well, I just keep going. And then it wasn't till I met my current partner that we kind of really delved into what was important and yeah family's really important to me friends are important to me yeah and I realized yeah making lots of money isn't really that important if I can do the things that I would like to do and be healthy and happy yeah I'm not really that concerned no that's that's a lot to unpack there that's a lot it took a long time and it like, took, this is like the car crash didn't do it like oh. you got hit by a black Mercedes brand new on your rollerblades on your way to work yeah. and that didn't help. It didn't do it. And we it. have to clarify that I hit him as well. So yes, it was yes. a collision. I don't I don't think the Mercedes got, you know, it, it, was, it was five fine. grand worth of damage. Those are some fast rollerblades. Yeah. It was wow. not great. Anyway. So yeah, it took a long time and lots of I guess, yeah, searching. But being stuck in this system, which basically says success is doing well financially and being secure and being able to do and buy whatever you want. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the definition of that changed to me. And unfortunately, we're in a system where it doesn't always work. Like, for instance, the last contract that actually the first placement that I made, which is the last one that I've made, <laughs> that's how well business is going. Um, <laughs> it's always a slow start. Yeah, no, I've been doing other projects as yes. well. So I've been diverse in my, um, in my invoicing. Good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the first one, I was like, we were trying to grapple with full time. Like, what does full time mean? What does flexibility mean in the workplace? Like, can we make the contract the job description? And as long as you fulfill that, that's like, you're done. You're sweet. You agree to do that. And, you know, it's really hard because yeah. they're, they're working on, so they're charging their clients time and materials. How do we change this system that's like built around the industrial revolution? Mm-hmm. Eight hour days. It's Is it eight hour days? 12 hour days. I don't even know. Yeah. It, what, eight hours work, eight hours leisure, eight hours that's rest. It. Yeah. The 888 rule. Yeah. Yeah, how do we transition from this? Because everything's built around it. Like, and, and our whole tax system's built around capitalism and, and democracy system is around protecting capitalism. So, like, <laughs> what are we going to do? <laughs> yeah, so I guess... We're going to have another discussion about it is what we're going to do, a much longer one. I'm still we're gonna smiling. Have a panel. Yes, we are. I'm sure people can hear it in our voices. It's yeah. Just, yeah, we're this still... This is fun exasperation. Yeah, and but... Yeah, we can see where the problem is. And I think that maybe that's why people become so overwhelmed and give up or they just go completely to the other way and think that the stuff and the money is going to make them happy eventually. If Mm -hmm. they get enough of it, they Mm -hmm. just keep going. And I I saw that that was futile. 
Yes. I, I just I saw that as not being real at all. And that's a like it sounds so trite and I like I've heard it said, so I don't want to say it again myself, but what a hugely important lesson to learn. If you could internalize that in somebody who's just finishing school at eighteen, imagine if you saved them a decade and a half of the best years of their life pursuing that goal only to get there. It the ones who do get there. And then then realize, yeah, this, this like I've got money and can buy stuff, and I've got nothing else in my life. I'm the midlife crisis. I'm so poor, all I have is mm. money. Yeah, that whole. Yeah, or you know, I mean, I can talk about my um my parents' circumstance where dad was making great money. He worked like literally from nothing to create himself, you know, self-made man. I mean, he's an artist. He's got a lot of dimensions, which is great, but. In the end, he's a workaholic, um, <laughs> which isn't great for relationships. And I, I didn't want to be like that. I saw that. I, I, you know, that accident, I was like, holy moly. I called my boss. Yes. <laughs> he had to get my number, my emergency contact number to call my mum. Oh, my God. <laughs> which turned out actually really well. The one time I got locked inside an office or something. And the only number that I remembered was my mum's, and she had my boss's number in her oh, phone. Oh, good. So I got out. I'm really glad it wasn't the opposite. <laughs> that the only number you remembered was your boss's number. Exactly. Yeah. I'm glad you remembered your mum's number. That's that's good. Anyway, there, there, there's this uh, glimmer of hope tangent for you in there. there. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. Uh, about your parents, were right. you raised at all environmentally? Like, did you have any kind of a sense of of sustainability, or was there like any talk about the natural world around you? But Oh yeah, like I, I mean, we had the the World Book Encyclopedia. Mm. Um, that was like so you daily. knew the name Amazon. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, yeah, we did a a few times, you know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and but it's a very it's a very um, juxtaposed upbringing because my mum is American, and she left in seventy four mm-hmm. to come here on the Teaching Revolution visa. God, we had such better visa names back in the yeah, day. Yeah, Teaching Revolution. Oh, maybe, maybe I'm getting that mixed up with a building one that happened. Oh, maybe. Oh, no, that was Schools of the Future. No, I don't know. I don't know. Correct answer will be in the show notes, yeah. but, but that is a very cool visa name. Well, it was a correct. very cool visa. It was a two-year um, tax-free what? situation. Yeah, where they got all expenses paid, trip over here, permanent residency, and they had a higher level of education than the Australian teachers. So you can believe they were really impressed with this woman walking in with flares being like the grade six teacher. Mm-hmm. That was not a woman's job in those days. She made the tea and was in grades preps to four. That was the maximum. Yeah, but her name's Roberta. So they thought she was a man and they put yes. her in grade five, six. It was it was like bucking the system from early on. So she actually rejected TV and popular culture when she came over, and uh, I grew up without Australian a TV. Australian pop culture at the time was really bad, yeah. as well. It helped, I guess. Yeah, I wouldn't know. I didn't. I didn't experience any of it. So I listened to ABC Radio, National, Classic FM. Mm. We had no TV, so that's yeah. I guess that is a different perspective of growing up. Definitely. It's not a consumer way of growing up. We had Veggie Garden, and yeah, we had nature trips, and we went camping. We didn't. Like, we didn't have excessive stuff, you know. Mm. But on the other side, my dad worked for the SEC. So we could see 
Loyang, I think it was the Tarelgan South Power Station, from our back window, if you stood on the fence, you know, there it is, smokestacks. Lovely brown coal, good on you, asthma, love it. Grew up in Glengarry, which is just outside of Tarelgan. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, so that on the other side is, you know, he was, we were funded by coal. (laughs) Yeah, home is a nice sort of, like in touch with nature kind of haven. But then commercial activities, oh, they can be yeah. polluting and, and capitalist and rampant and, and somewhat morals free. Yeah. But and well, but my dad painted dichotomy. about it. There's mm. paintings where he, he was in conflict. Like, and he, was... he kind of released it through his artwork a bit. Yeah, definitely. He Absolutely. It. Yeah. And, but also, like, there was no other industry there. Mm. There's forestry and brown coal. Yep. Um, or black coal. Is that the cleaner one? I don't even know. I think it's good quality coal. There's a big strip of it that goes through basically the Australian bite. Apparently there is that much of it. That's why yeah. we don't care. That's because well, this we, I continent used to be full of forests and that's what's left of them. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So that was that's the upbringing. But I think that, no, I, I wasn't really like the only thing that I wanted when I was in school was a car. Yeah. Because <laughs> I grew up in the country. So, yeah, you know. Cars meant freedom and Absolutely. you wanted to be able to just get out and go where you wanted and. So before I went to London, I used to drive to work from, I was living in, where was I? I was in North Melbourne and I used to drive to Mooney Ponds. That is on a tram line. I could have gotten one tram to work, but I didn't even think to look. I didn't even think about it because I'm from the country. I want to listen to my radio and smoke my ciggies. Yeah, I yep. used to smoke ciggies, you know. It's like it's <laughs> the country as well. Like even for me until I, like, I, I handed in my company car when I left the day job. You know, a month ago, it was like, I'm giving up my backyard. My car is my, my little bubble that goes with me yeah. wherever. It's my suitcase. It's my... Oh, that shame of driving one person in a car oh, backed yes. up and the bike riders drive by and smell your fumes. Shame on you, whoever's listening that drives to work. <laughs> yeah, but I understand. I do. Yeah. No, I, we're going to have those people on. We're going to talk to them how tough it is. If you don't live near PT options, if there's literally no other way to your, get to your job. What are you meant to do for right now? Leave your job. Hmm. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, this you've got the moral authority or to say it. This ask, is what you've done. Ask the the boss to work from a co-working space. There or, you go. Like, I mean, there's a co-working space in Torquay and there's an EPA um, employee that works there. Hey, that's great. Two days a week, yeah. Yeah. That's so really she cool. would normally have to travel to Geelong, but now she gets to work. But only only because the the office is full. Uh, it's not because it makes that's sense. They're a progressive-minded organization <laughs> yeah. and with a great no, boss. But. I shouldn't have mentioned names anyway. Um, that's okay. That's but no, it's good. It's moving in the right direction, and hopefully, more things like examples of of things working like that will actually mean that people just do them, and it's normal. Yep, that's right. Well, there's there's a whole bunch more we could get into. I feel like I was not prepared at all to ask <laughs> the industry questions. I tried to ask. Because I, my understanding is such like a, a kaleidoscope of little fragments of like, so was a recruitment agents, the people are the products, right? There's like such oh, a yeah. sixth grade conception of oh, what no, a recruiter it's, it's does. It's very current, but it's just not the way that I like to view Fair it. Enough. Maybe it's a little too... <laughs> it's all good. Acerbic, yeah. incisive, they I don't know. They used to be called horse traders. 
Mm. That's the old slang, like the sept- septic tank, which I <laughs> yeah, told you, you about before. Yeah, you told before. me it was a septic tank before, but yeah. I didn't know what that meant. You didn't know what it meant. No. So, anyway. Uh, well, we're just a couple half Yanks in Australia, so. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought I was having on a true blue Aussie when I invited, you know, I met you at, you know, the Ballarat Begonia Festival. Begonia. No, so. actually uh, first generation, so. Yep. And um, planning to keep the thread very international, considering my partner is Argentinian, so. Very good. Yeah. Now, Australia is, uh, well, I'll, I, I'll <laughs> avoid, yeah, I, I like how much of a patchwork it is here. It is it is very nice living, especially in, in Melbourne. So uh, I've got a lot of things to cover off with you on like a second or a th- even a third episode. I got to get a lot more into community building. I know it's a, one of the goals of Teal is to foster community. Yes. It's on your website. So. Yeah, you can check out the website and it does say, um, uh, list the other projects that I'm involved with, which mm. is quite a few, um, especially round Torquay. So I've got my renewable energy task force meeting this Thursday. Very good. Torquay at the Surf Coast Shire. So we're working hard to to get more solar and more, hopefully, fingers crossed for a wind farm. Oh, that would be very, very How exciting. There's one in planning, just FYI. Well, good. We we will definitely be highlighting that campaign. And if there's anything that our audience could do to pitch in to help with that, with submissions or even just awareness, yeah. uh, or you know, everyone's got a network. So. That's true. Thank Very you. Good. Not a problem. Thank thanks. you so much for coming on, Maxine. I better wrap it there. Thanks for having me. Oh, that's yeah, so for fun. In. <laughs> it's quite good once to get the cans on. All right, so I'll end it there. All right. I'll and speak to you next time. this won't sound awkward at all when it goes up. <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> How do you end this? The Climactic Collective. This show is produced by Hear Media, a boutique audio agency in Narm, Melbourne. To learn more and get in touch head to hearmedia.studio. That's H-E-R-E media.studio.